Hello and welcome back. I'm Steve Murphy, a trust and estates attorney with McGuire Woods LLP. And this is Once Removed, my podcast on estate planning, trusts, property, taxes, family, legacy, and everything else on my clients' minds. On Once Removed, we provide episodes on general and specific topics about trusts and estates. But we'll also summarize some important developments in the law that get our attention. Like here, where a recent court case helps to underscore some important principles about planning. In prior episodes and some upcoming episodes, we've discussed that all-important question of how assets should pass to your beneficiaries. On one end of the spectrum, the assets should pass outright. That is simple and easy and efficient, but it's almost easy to a fault because then the funds are that person's for all purposes, good and bad. On the other end of the spectrum, the assets pass into a trust for that person's benefit. And as we'll explore in later episodes, there are all sorts of options in the middle of how to strike the right balance between simplicity and efficiency on the one hand and structure and management and protection on the other. So here's the case. This is the case of N. Ray Harrison. I'll give you the legal citation, 272A3D456. It's from Pennsylvania in 2022. In this case, the settlers of a trust tried to go the simple route. They had the assets pass outright to their grandson. Well, for the most part, the assets would be held in a trust for his benefit. But then when he turned 30, one third of the assets would go to him outright. And when he turned 35, the rest would go to him outright. But when the time came for those distributions, the trustee wasn't sh so sure that he was ready for those funds. So the trustee tried to take some steps to keep the assets in trust. And as we'll see, this led to a big family fight. So in this case, a trust was established in 1995 by Saul and Sidra Harrison for the benefit of their grandson, Michael. And they named their son, Theodore, as the sole trustee. Saul and Sidria had contributed $20,000 to the trust, and then Theodore later contributed $50,000 to the trust. Theodore was a surgeon, and he had used trust funds to pay for Michael's college tuition and travel expenses, which was permitted under the trust agreement. By the time the events of this case arose, the trust assets had grown to $540,000. Just as a side note, this is an example of how even small gifts over time can grow to be significant amounts. Under the terms of the trust during Michael's lifetime, the trustee could make distributions for Michael's benefit in the trustee's discretion. And then when Michael turned 30, he could withdraw up to one third of the principal. And then when he turned 35, he had the right to withdraw the remainder. Then those funds would be Michael's and he could do whatever he wanted with the money. By the way, Michael later argued that he didn't even know about the existence of the trust until he was about 28. He said that he only learned about it when someone contacted him with questions about tax reporting for the trust. But in any event, when Michael turned 30, he asked his father for a distribution of one third of the trust. His father refused. He acknowledged that the trust was supposed to distribute out to Michael at ages 30 and 35, but the trust had a clause called a holdback clause. It said that if a beneficiary was quote, under a disability, then the trustee could hold the funds in trust. By the way, this kind of holdback clause can be really helpful. If a beneficiary is supposed to receive funds outright, but really is disabled, like is in a coma, then you'll want to at least have some flexibility to continue to hold and manage those funds. But in this case, Theodore believed that Michael suffered from disability in a different sense. He said Michael suffered from ADHD, 
and had used marijuana and maybe even dealt marijuana. And Theodore said that this really negatively affected his ability to manage his affairs. There were other bad facts of this case that Theodore cited. Theodore said that Michael had even grown marijuana in the family's backyard and that he had been held at gunpoint once while buying drugs. So because of all this, Theodore accused Michael of um, being under a disability. So this, in Theodore's mind, allowed him as trustee to retain the funds in trust. But Michael disagreed. He thought he should get the funds now. So Michael brought a lawsuit to compel distribution of the funds. Michael said he wasn't under a disability. He was actually employed with a few jobs that seemed part-time, maybe part of this gig economy. Michael said that he that didn't amount to a disability, so Theodore had no right to hold back the funds. The trial court found that Theodore had improperly withheld the funds, and they ordered a distribution to Michael. But Theodore, the trustee, appealed. On appeal, Theodore argued that the trial court improperly overruled his discretion as trustee. And he had some good basis for that. Under Florida law, there's a statute that says a court shall not determine that a trustee abused his discretion merely because the court would have exercised discretion in a different manner or would have exercised the discretion differently. But the court responded that this doesn't mean that the trustee is beyond challenge. The court noted that a trustee is always subject to accountability where discretion is improperly or arbitrarily exercised. So on review, the appellate court found that the evidence reflected that the father had acted outside his discretion of the trustee, and the court required one-third to be distributed to Michael. By the way, Michael had also asked that his father be replaced as trustee. The court found this might not be necessary since Michael was going to receive the remaining two-thirds in a few years anyway. So what's the takeaway? Well, maybe Saul and Sidria should have put in more language in the document to the funds, not just in the case of disability. Maybe they could have allowed holding back the funds if the beneficiary couldn't manage his finances. Or maybe they could have given Theodore more discretion to hold back funds. But the real takeaway is that when Saul and Sidria set up the trust, they made a decision. They decided that Michael would receive the funds outright at ages 30 and 35. That was the default. And unless there were some extreme circumstances, that is what would occur. And if the trustee decided to hold back the funds, it would be open to a challenge. And that's what happened here. If Saul and Sidria wanted to allow Theodore to keep the funds in trust, they could have flipped the model altogether. They could have provided that the funds would be kept in trust and then maybe used a non-binding letter of instruction, like a trust letter of wishes that we'll talk about in a later episode, to suggest to the trustee that the funds should go outright at the appropriate age, such as 30 or 35. But that model would have kept the funds in trust, subject to the trustee's discretion, as opposed to the other way around. And you can see the consequences here. I'm Steve Murphy, and this has been Once Removed, a podcast on thoughtful estate planning. Thanks for listening.